This morning we're going to be reading from the Gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 9, and we are beginning in verse 28. About eight days later, Jesus took Peter, John, and James up on a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed, and his clothes were made dazzling white. Suddenly, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. Peter and the others had fallen asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it's wonderful wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. But even as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them, and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. Then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. When the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. They didn't tell anyone at that time what they had seen. May we be blessed this morning by the reading and the hearing of the scriptures. Let's pray. Good morning, Lord. We thank you for this opportunity to gather together with family and friends, with loved ones, to worship you, to sing your praises, to to laugh together, to, to pray together to share concerns together and to turn to your scriptures together. To collectively listen. Not just to to hear. Not just to learn. but to be transformed. Because we understand that that's what we're seeking. Transformation. To become the people that you have called and created us to be. People who begin to resemble Jesus and the things that we say and the things that we do and the compassion that we show. So open our hearts this morning and hide me behind your cross. Let your spirit wash over us. 
help us to grow in ways that we couldn't even imagine. We pray all this in your most holy and precious name. Amen. So I'm going um, to sit on a stool uh, this morning, at least for a while. Uh, one was, so I was joking with Jaron, and I said, we're going to talk about the Wesleyan quadrilateral. And anytime you talk about the Wesleyan quadrilateral, you should sit on a stool. Um, also, yeah, it's rule. It's actually, they teach you that in seminary, Corey. Um, and the other thing, uh, and then I was like, we could talk about, like, this is the, you know, the, the four legs of the stool. We're not going to do that. Um, uh, so what is the Wesleyan quadrilateral, first of all? Some of us know, some of us have no idea what I'm talking about, but I want to share it with you real quick. All right, so there's this idea, and um, there's this guy, his name was Albert Outler, and he, um, he studied John Wesley and John Wesley's writings, and, and, uh, and, and to be honest with you, if you go to a Wesleyan seminary, you have to study them too. And, uh, and so, like, if you're, if you're bored and you want to read, I've got the complete works of John Wesley in my office. You're welcome to borrow any of the books. Um, and uh, so, but he, he went through all the sermons, he went through all the letters, the course, like all the different correspondence, the, the journal, everything. And what he began to see was this, was that there was these four things that, that John Wesley seemed to sort of come back to over and over and over again. So even though John Wesley himself never used this term, Wesleyan quadrilateral, it, it, was, it was identified by Outler. And, and what it is, is there, there are four things that shape us, uh, shape our theology. And one is Scripture. That is, as persons of faith, we go to the Scripture and, and we read the Scripture. And we should be being changed, transformed by our reading of Scripture. The other thing, there's three other things, though. There's also your um, experience. What kind of experiences are you having in this life that you live? The, the third thing is reason. Are you, are you thinking through critically? Are you processing your reading of Scripture? Are you processing your experiences? Um, and then is your and then the the let's see so tr- uh, Scripture uh, the th- the fourth one is tradition, and that we we don't we don't live in a vacuum, and that we stand one of the things that we'll, so we stand on the shoulders of the saints that have gone before us. And so, but here's the thing. It's not just one, right? So you can't just say, well, our tradition has always been bleh. Or this is what the scripture says. Uh, and never interact with the scripture. Never, never consider and challenge and, and work through your tradition with reason, experience, and scripture. We should be looking at our own traditions and saying, okay, as I consider scripture, as I consider reason, as I, you know, or as I have experience, what does that do with my understanding of my tradition? Same thing with scripture, right? My tra- what does my tradition teach me? But not just what does the tradition teach me, but, but what do my own experiences teach me? And how do I reflect on the scriptures with that reasonably? All right, so you see how this all sort of works together? 
And what happens is if we're not careful, we'll simply uh, always say, well, this is what the scripture says. It's very clear about that, which is actually um, a, a, a thing that whenever I hear it, I always chuckle inside. Oh, the scripture is very, it's very clear about, really? Have you ever read scripture once and then read it again? And you're like, wait, I didn't see that. Or wait a second, wait, what's that? Um, it happened to me this morning. I've read this passage of scripture how many times this week, getting ready for a sermon? And I was like, and on that eighth day, and I was like, oh my gosh, that's the day after the complete whole number of seven. I didn't even think about that, right? And all of a sudden I'm like, what does that do to my sermon? Nothing now, Jeff, you can't, like, <laughs> it's too late, Right? But I can guarantee you that later this afternoon, I'm going to be sitting down and I'm going to be thinking about that. I'm going to be reasoning through that. I'm going to be thinking about, well, traditionally, what have I been taught that that number seven means? And then, so what does that mean for eight? The eighth day. Okay, so it shapes our theology, which is our understanding of who God is. But here's the thing, too. It should also be shaping us. Because theology is only important insofar as it determines how you live in your relationship with God and with others. It ha- it's all. Because right? I, I can tell you I believe something. But if my belief doesn't, doesn't shape what I do, then my belief is completely unimportant. Or I don't really believe it. Does that make sense? I can tell you that a bridge is safe, that I believe that bridge is safe. Okay, Jeff, walk across it. Nope. <laughs> would, you, would you believe that I believe the bridge is safe? No. Okay. All right, so we have these things that happen in our lives. And, and sometimes what happens is we have an experience, and it doesn't seem reasonable to us. And so we just dismiss it. Like, like, for example, uh, speaking in tongues is one of those things that when I experience that in a, in a setting of whatever, it doesn't sit well with me reasonably. And so I have a tendency to just dismiss it. I'm just being honest with you. All right? That's where I'm at. And please don't use that to judge me. Um, I guess you can if you want, whatever. Um, but, but we do that, right? We'll have, an, we'll have this experience and we'll say it doesn't fit and so I will just completely dismiss it rather than saying, well, experience is one of the four things. Maybe what I need to do is process that and see if there's room for that experience or how does that experience change me? And you may not even completely understand the experience at the moment, but can you be changed by it? Relationships with people. We have relationships with people, and do we completely dismiss the experiences that we have with the relationships with people because it doesn't align with our understanding of our tradition? Or it doesn't seem reasonable to us? Or my understanding of Scripture? Or do we allow that relationship, that experience that we have with people, to change that? And you may not completely understand it, but are you willing to be transformed by it? You see, here's what's happening in this passage of Scripture today, is we talk about the transfiguration of Jesus, but there's also a transformation that's taking place with the people that were with Jesus. 
So I want to kind of go through this passage of Scripture real quick, and I want to look at this with all these things in mind. All right, so this is a mountaintop experience, right? It says that he took them to the mountain, up on a mountain to pray. Okay, so there's this mountaintop experience, and then the transformation or the transfiguration of Jesus gets described. He goes up a mountain to pray, and then the author describes Jesus as becoming a source of light. That's interesting. We could preach all on that. Right? Jesus becomes a source of light. By the way, our sermon series is from darkness to light. So just kind of, I'm not going to preach on that, but there you go. So then there are two people, two people meet Jesus, and and they kind of come out of nowhere, right? And then they identify them as Moses and Elijah, So now you have Moses and Elijah and Jesus. Jesus becomes sort of that third something that that coming after Moses and Elijah. And it's interesting because Moses and Elijah are talking, it says, the author says, they're talking to Jesus about the exodus that Jesus is about to bring to fulfillment in Jerusalem. That's an interesting choice of words, isn't it, for those of us that are familiar with the Old Testament story of the exodus. So why Moses and Elijah? Again, we're talking about the experience that, that, that these guys are having, right? So you've got Peter, John, and James with Jesus. And when we're talking about the experience of Peter, John, and James, they see Moses and Elijah. Okay, so why Moses and Elijah? Well, Moses is considered to be the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. Like, he is, he's the guy, right? But Moses represents Torah. Elijah represents prophets. Jesus came to fulfill the law and the prophets. Oh, whoa, wait, what? He came to fulfill Torah and the prophets. This is the people that Jesus is talking to. Interestingly enough, both Moses and Elijah are the only two people in the Old Testament who ascend Mount Sinai. Right? They ascend, they ascend Mount Sinai, both, and they're the only two people that both encounter and talk with the divine presence in fire and cloud on that same mountain. And now Jesus is on the mountain with Moses and Elijah. They, they witnessed God in the fire and in the cloud, right, on Mount Sinai. They're on a mountain. They're with Jesus. Jesus becomes what? Fire. Oh, what statement is being made about Jesus right there? And then what happens is a cloud descends. And what happens when the cloud descends? The people become afraid. Remember the story of the Exodus? The people wouldn't approach the mountain because they were Afraid? This is, a, this is an apocalypse, right? There's a divine revealing that's taking place on this mountain. This is the, the divine revealing of the true identity of who Jesus is. These people are experiencing Jesus fully, his full identity. Jesus is, is in the, 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 the slot of the, he's, he's in the, the divine fire, that presence. He becomes a gleaming human embodiment of God's glory, which is actually what the high priest of Israel 
represents when entering the Holy of Holies. So now Jesus is also being presented in this story as the high priest. He's God. He's the high priest. The cloud overshadows them, and they enter into the heavens. That's what the cloud represents. That would be pretty scary. And then you hear a voice that provides a parallel to Jesus' baptism. Did you catch it? It sounds just like Jesus' baptism. This is, a, this is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. Not only is it a parallel to Jesus' baptism, it's also, again, a parallel back to Moses and Elijah encounter with God on Mount Sinai. But there's also this hyperlink that takes place, and it's actually connecting back to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy, good book. 18, listen to this. Moses continued, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. Do you know what he tells them to do? You must listen to him. What's being said about Jesus? Moses, then Elijah, and now Jesus. He's the divine fiery presence. He's the high priest. He's the king of the line of David. He is the chosen one. And he's a prophet. Did you know that was all being stated about Jesus in this story? It's pretty interesting, isn't it? It also tells us that Peter and his companions are overcome with sleep. They like to sleep a lot. Right? It reminds me of another story of when they're overcome with sleep. We'll get to that one as we get closer to Easter. So, so what the author, though, is suggesting is that they're in sort of this dream state, which for, uh, which for the author, it's a little bit different than, than when we think about it. Like, we think, oh, you're sleepy, you're not paying attention. But in the Bible, um, there, there's, a, there's a deeper level of consciousness that happens when you're in this state. And, and so for, for biblical authors... What they would say is that we often are walking through this life not seeing. When you're wide awake, you actually are seeing less than when you're in this dream state, when you have an opportunity to fully experience. And I think that that might be true. I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes that moment between awake and asleep are sometimes some of the best moments that I have with God. And then how does Peter respond? Okay, so now we're getting into their response to this experience. It is good to be here. Amen. Right? But he's also overcome with an emotion described as being overcome with fear or awe is what it says when the cloud comes in, right? It's like, oh my gosh, they're afraid. Well, there's this awe that happens. And so it is good to be here. This is scary. <laughs> if your faith only ever brings you to places of comfort and doesn't challenge you, it may be a worthless faith. 
most of my transformation comes when I am scared and I don't know what's going to happen. It's what the Lutheran theologian Rudolf Otto called the Mysterium Tremendum. This wondrous fascination and attraction together with a stunning sense of one's own littleness and incapacity. And it's all happening at the very same time. So what does Peter want to do? And I, if you were following along, I didn't look up. But if you, if you notice, I did change the words in this one part. right? Because in here it says that Peter, let's see. I accidentally, did I turn my page? I did. It says that Peter wanted to uh, build three shelters as memorials. That's a bad translation. And so I, um, I hold the right to correct it. Better translation is simply tabernacles. He wanted to build tabernacles. It's important to use the word tabernacle. Why? Because tabernacle brings us back again to the Exodus story, which the author used the word Exodus. So they're wanting you to think Exodus story. The Exodus story, the tabernacle, hosts the divine presence. And it's interesting because Peter wants to build tabernacles for Moses, Elijah, and Jesus, but the author seems to think that he didn't actually quite get what he was asking for. He was on the right track, but he didn't get what he, but, but what, the way he understood it wasn't quite right. He, right he, the, the idea of building three tabernacles in itself, you're, oh, you're on the right track. Mm, you, you lost it. Because for the author, at this point, when this book is written, we're starting to develop the idea of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Building three tabernacles to, to, to represent the divine presence is good. You're almost there. You're not quite there. Right? So you have knowing. At the same time, you have not knowing. Sound a little bit like Faith. I mean, isn't there another part where Jesus is in the process of doing healing and, and the father of the son that's being healed looks at him and says, I believe, forgive my unbelief. I know, but I don't know. I know what I know, but I don't even know what I don't know. There's this idea of getting it, yet not getting it at all. I know God's great. Okay, there you go. Tell us what you know about God. God God's big. Do you get it? Oh, I get that. What else can you tell me about God? No. Eek. I know, but I don't know. I get it, but I don't get it. It's at that very... It, it's... That is the very character of all true mystery. And in every in-depth encounter. And, and we call this the great mystery. See, and here's the thing too. Emotional and spiritual encounters are not something that we need to try to recreate. They need to be moments of transformation. 
And what happens is a lot of times, especially in churches or in worship experiences, we have this moment this, of this, this great spiritual encounter. And what we do is we spend the rest of our faith lives trying to recreate that moment. Instead of reflecting on the moment, we had an experience, let's reflect on it using some scriptures, some reason, and some, and some tradition, and, and, and let's think about that experience, and how was I transformed by that experience, instead of chasing after the emotion. Right? Oh man, I was in this one worship service, and they played this one song, and the lights were a certain way, and then the smoke machine came on, and they had the, the you know, whatever, and they had all that going on, and it was so powerful. And so now, what I wish is when I go back to my own church, why can't we use a smoke machine and dim the lights, and we need to sing that song? I think we're laughing because we're like, oh, I, yeah, that was me. <laughs> I did it one time. I was at, a, I was at this thing, and um, the, the, this guy was speaking, and he gave this sermon, and I was, oh, my gosh, it ripped me up. It tore me apart. It pulled my heart out. It transformed my heart, and it shoved it back in my chest, right? And it was, I was like, oh, this is so good. And so you know what I did? I went home, and I tried to preach the exact same sermon verbatim. And it was like trying to make a sandwich out of soup. We have to take time to reflect on our experiences. And it takes intentionality in looking for God. Right? I had a, I had a challenge with a friend this week. He, he was telling me, he said, you know, I hate when we go into meetings, wherever this is, usually in a church setting. I, in fact, always in a church setting. But, and you're like, hey, where have you experienced God this week? He says, I hate that. Because everyone else has these stories, and I'm always like, and then, and then I find myself, because I don't have a story, I start judging their stories. <laughs> but what, so I said, okay, here's what I want you to do, friend. I want you to, tonight, go home and reflect on your day. And think about all the conversations you've had, all the people you've encountered, all the things that you saw, everywhere you went, and where did you see God? And then that's not enough, though. How were you transformed in that moment? How could you be transformed in that moment? Otherwise, it's just a good memory. Right? It's, it's in this place where knowledge and experience collide. And in that collision, true transformation takes place. If I'm truly following Jesus, I cannot be the same person today with the exact same set of beliefs that I had when I first set out following Jesus 20 years ago. It means I haven't grown. So I shared this story because I thought, you know, what's a let me give it, I was like, okay, this is good. This is good stuff. There's so much going on in this story. And, and I could preach, like, really, you could do a whole sermon series on this one story. Just think of all the things that we talked about today. But I thought, okay, that's really neat. Okay, but what does it look like? Do you have an example, Jeff? And I thought, man, because if the only example I have is my, uh, that the story when I became a Christian, that would be pretty sad. And so I thought about a story, and because I, I was like, okay, what's, some of, what's one of the most recent stories? And then I was like, oh, I shared that one last week in question and answer. 
and I shared it in Sunday school class, but I didn't share it here, so here it goes. <laughs> so if you're in my Sunday school class, listen anyway. All right, <clears throat> so week before last was a really, really difficult week. Um, and, uh, and on Thursday, I had carved out some time, and I was going to go see my friend Doc, who has been my chiropractor on and off for about 12 years. Um, and moving here, I tried a different chiropractor, and I stopped because he's not Doc. Um, and so I, uh, to get there, to get to Doc's place, Doc lives between um, Portland and Westmoreland, if you're familiar with, I think it's Highway 52, up in that area. And so the, easy, the, the best way for me to get there would be go straight up through Gallatin, and then I forget the road. You don't, not 109, there's a, a road that goes straight through downtown. And uh, you go that way, you go past the Catholic Church on the right-hand side, there's a... Uh, Still, they still exist, Free Methodist Church on your left-hand side. And, um, and so I was driving up, and I had, the, I had um, the, remember how nice it was that Thursday? You may not, it's been a while. It was beautiful. I had on, I had on flip-flops, jeans, and a t-shirt, and I had the window down, and I was listening to Grateful Dead. It was fabulous. <laughs> uh, if you're not a Dead fan, I'm sorry, but um, that's your own problem. So, <laughs> so anyway, um, so... Uh, I'm driving, and I'm just like, this is, this is great. And all of a sudden, this guy comes flying around the corner, right, in his pickup truck. And he, he's coming so fast, and he's in such a hurry to get in front of me that he, like, takes out the curb, and his truck bounces as he hits the curb, right? And then he goes down to 20 miles an hour. And then I see him flick a cigarette butt out his window. And that righteous indignation crawled all over me. Right? I was like, do you have any idea how long I was going to take that cigarette butt to biodegrade? Well, I don't either, but I know it's a really long time, you know? And, and, uh, and then I look behind me, and I'm like, there's not a soul behind me. What was the hurry? And so and then I realized, oh, Jeff, you're in a bad way. I realized I was angry. Oh, my gosh. I, and I was ready to, phew, with anybody. And then I thought, you know what? I, right now? And I, then I just really let it all unravel. Did you ever do that? You just, I mean, like, everything. And I was like, in fact, you know what? I don't even like people. <laughs> I don't like them. I was like, people ruin everything. Forgetting all the time that I'm one of them. <laughs> Not this person, but other persons. And, and I was just, I was like, man, your sabbatical cannot get here quick enough. You've got to get out in the woods by yourself. And um, Which, by the way, sabbatical starts a week from today. So keep me in your prayers. I'm going to walk 100, uh, 100 miles by myself uh, along the Appalachian Trail. And then I'll come back and I'll be like, I love people. Um, <laughs> right? Uh, because here's the thing, too. If I don't take the time, side note, if I don't take the time to process that experience, it'll become a great memory and there'll be no transformation. So anyway, so just let me wrap up this story. So I get up to Doc's house, and I went up there to get adjusted. So I'm, I'm up there for my physical thing, right? 
And uh, I get adjusted, and Doc's like, you got time for coffee? And I said, absolutely, because all I kept thinking about is I don't want to go back. Um, and so Doc makes us each a cup of coffee. And normally we would sit down back in the basement where he's got his um, table set up and everything. But it was such a beautiful day, we went and we sat on, on the deck. And, um, and I started looking around, and I'd never really paid attention to Doc's property. He's got 16 acres up there. And I was like, is that your pond? And he said, yeah, that's, that's my pond. Is that your barn out there? Yep, that's. And, he, and then finally he said, hey, you want to take a ride? And I was like, yeah, let's, you want to go feed the fish? Sounds good. And so he's got one of those four-wheel drive um, golf carts. I don't, there's probably a better name for that. but um, and Gator, okay. And um, I, I believe you. And then, um, <laughs> and so we took this ride, and uh, and he's, like he's mowed and has it like through the tr- through the trees like there's a path that you can ride and and for the whole border and then we got down there and we got out and um we fed the fish and it was funny because they could hear the gator yeah coming and um and it was like the fish just started coming right and i was like okay and so I, we fed the fish and then we looked in i was like how old's the barn i have no idea it's been here a very long time and you could tell but I love old buildings like that, right? And, and so we drove around, and, and we got back. And um, I got in my truck, and I looked at Doc, and I just simply said, thank you for being my friend. I went up there to get physically adjusted. I got uh, mentally adjusted, spiritually adjusted, emotionally adjusted, adjusted. And here's the thing, if you're, if you're friends with me on Facebook, you're going to note that that was the afternoon that I started this thing on Facebook where every day I post, today I intentionally choose to love everyone. The, I had to. I had to, because I realized, yes, Jesus tells us to love everyone and to love God. But it's not enough for me to be told. I have to choose to do that every single day. Because if I don't choose to do it, I won't. And so God transformed me that day through that experience of riding around and feeding fish. Because time was taken to think about the scriptures right? Think about, what did I think about? Jesus is asked by a legal expert, what is the first, what's the most important law? I thought about the scriptures. Love your neighbor, love yourself. And then on top of that, I thought, oh, wow, and, and Paul, uh, love your neighbor and love God. And then Paul narrows it down and says, uh, Paul summarizes that as just love your neighbor. And so, yeah, scripture is running through my head, and, which is why it's important to read your Bible, so it'll just run through your head if you don't have a Bible on you. I thought about the scriptures, right? And I spent time to reasonably think about my experience, the whole experience. And through that transformation took place. Every day I'm still going to have to get up and choose to do it, but at least at least I'm a little better equipped to do it now. And so that's the thing, right? Like, that's the challenge for this week, this Lenten challenge. Every night, sit back and think, what did I say today? Who did I see today? Where did I go today? 
What did I, what did I do? And where did I see God in that? And how can I be transformed by God through that? And maybe we can all experience, to some extent, our own transfiguration. Amen.